Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange with Leander Young, where we dig into conversations with seasoned musicians to discuss their life, art, and the faith of jazz as they see it. In this episode, we interview a composer, educator, Grammy-nominated harpist from New York, Brandy Younger. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange. Today, we have one of my favorite in the field right now of modern jazz. Ma'am, please introduce yourself and then we'll get into it. I'm Brandy Younger. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you for coming on. When I originally made my short list of guests that I wanted when I started the podcast, you were one of them. So it's good that I finally got you. Yay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So... The first thing I need to ask you, and I know you get this all the time, where did you get the idea to put harp in jazz? <laughs> oh, you know what? So no one asked me that, really. I thought you were going to ask how I started playing the instrument. I mean, you could go into that, too. I'm just curious. <laughs> it's intimidating. I, think, I like innovators in this field. To be honest, I just wanted to... Because I played the instrument, I wanted it to be relatable to like what I was listening to. So I always wanted to play what I heard on the radio a lot. I wanted to do a lot of pop stuff. So when I was a kid, I would come to lessons with like CDs of whatever I wanted to play that was on the radio. And my teacher was so sweet. As long as I did what I was supposed to do, she would write it out for me, like write out a lead sheet for me to learn it. So I always led sort of a double life of doing the traditional classical studies, but then at night doing what I wanted. And I remember I used to want to play Duke Ellington's Don't Don't Get Around Much Anymore. (laughs) There were too many chromaticism. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I've always just wanted, you know, if when your parents like bring you to an orchestra concert, they just drop you off. They're like, they're going to fall asleep. So it's like, how can I relate my instrument to who I am and the folks around me? Did you actually want to play the harp or did they say you're playing the harp? This lady played harp at my dad's job. And um, my parents were like, oh, our daughter's musical. Can we bring her over to your house? And I played the flute. So she's the one that mentioned to my parents, you know, if she were to play harp, she'd get a scholarship. So that's all my parents really needed to hear. Okay. It worked out for you. I have no problem with that. So (laughs) did you ever bring your harp to a jam session, just roll out with it and then... Absolutely. Do they look at you weird? Yes, it's embarrassing. You know why it's embarrassing? (laughs) Because it's it's so big. You can't just like, you know, horn players, they just sort of just stand on the side and slide right in. And, you know, singers and drummers and piano players just bring their body. Now, I have a love-hate relationship with jam sessions, but I can honestly say if someone rolled up with a harp, especially like 10 years ago, I would have just like, yep, I'm not playing the next song. I'm just going to watch this. <laughs> See how this goes out. Safe to say, I usually just show up to a jam session to hang out and listen. Okay. And what was your favorite spot? Zinc? Because I've seen you at Zinc before. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Tuesday nights. Okay. <laughs> so, first question I have on your latest album. First of all, I do love it. The brand new oh, life. Thank you. Okay. I literally went to see you at Winterfest and you're performing. 
and I took my cousin. My cousin loved it. And then when you dropped the album, she was over and we watched, we listened to it. I said, watch. We listened to it together. And the running game intro. <laughs> I'm sorry. What was that? Because <laughs> she's going through that right now. And then when you dropped that line, it was just like, uh. You, so what happened was, in a nutshell, the name, the oh, so that is a Dorothy Ashby original called Double Talking. That was the name of the song. We changed it for the record. But what I was doing, and my, my mom and my aunt did not know that I was recording them, but I just said, hey, I'm going to read these lyrics to you, and I just want you to tell me what it means to you. That's all I did. That's it. Okay. She became even a bigger fan of you just after that. <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, tell, tell your cousin thank you. <laughs> and another one I have to ask is, how did you get Pete Rock on there? So, all right. Okay, so I have this whole thing. I mean, I don't have this whole thing. I'm a Dorothy Ashby diehard. He's a Dorothy Ashby diehard. My whole career, I just wanted to work with Pete Rock, right? And you remember BGO had to check out that show? Yes, I was, I remember, I don't remember what year it was, but it was a long time ago. And I was like, it's just my dream to be on a track with Pete Rock. Like that, that's what I said. I remember saying that. So it finally happened in, you know, uh, Mac Wilds put his record out. This was 10 years ago. And Salam Remy produced it. And he had me play on a couple of the tracks. And he sent one track over. And I was like, this is definitely a Pete Rock track. And he's like, yeah. So I'm like, oh my gosh, this is happening. Then Daru Jones called me just a couple of years ago about a Peach Dramentals record. So I played on that too. So for this record, I was like, let me just shoot my shot because I had been trying to get in touch with him. And even on the Mac Wilde record and on his own record, I never, we never met. We never communicated. So this was literally me shooting my shot. I mean, I grew up listening to Pete Rock beats you oh, know i yeah, grew I up. love them too uh, so, for people who don't so, know he did he worked with heavy d nas and biggie and that's like he was really like the first to, to to be sampling her dorothy ashby so it was just sort of the world's coming together for me you know dorothy ashby is this harpist that's literally playing the music of her time remember this is pop in, at the time, what, the 60s, 50s, 60s, she's playing pop tunes however she wants to do them. And then 92, 1992, Pete Rock is finding these records and he's sampling these records. So, I mean, to me, it's just like a, it's like a full circle situation. Okay. And then he just agreed. It wasn't that simple. There was some arm twisting that went down, but we're here now. <laughs> okay, I'll give you that. <laughs> so, Miss Remy, how did you meet her? Because I know she worked with The Roots a lot and she did a lot of other tracks. Wait, who, who are you talking about? Miss Gibbs. Salama Remy Gibbs. So, Salam's not on the record. Yeah, but how did you meet her? Him, him, I'm, him. I mean, sorry, wow. So, so, you know, I th you edit this, right? <laughs> nah, people make fun of me when I screw up all the time. I just screwed up there. It's cool. <laughs> no, no. So, oh, so, so Salam Remy is an incredible producer. And 
How do I know him? Long story short, uh, the president, former president of, of Sony, he actually linked us. He heard me actually doing a Dorothy Ashby tribute at Zinc Bar late one night during Winter Jazz Fest. No lie. I forgot about that. Nice. He, he came to that show. He emailed me and he said, could you come to my office? And he said, I want to link you with Salon Remy. And I was like, are you serious? So I think Mac Wilde's record was probably the first project that I worked on with him. Okay. And that's how a lot of your other gigs opened up with your pop scene? No, it, this was no far before my my very first top forty record was oh six. Oh six. Um, which was which one was that? Cassie. Remember oh, Cassie? Cassie. Yes. <laughs> so that was oh six, and I think after that was probably Common Finding Forever. Yes, I know the Common one, but yes, you were on Cassie's album too. Yes. Forgot about that one. And how was that? Were you in the studio with her, or was it like you just laid the tracks on and then that's you all. Ryan Leslie did all the production and I already knew who Ryan was. And I, I think I had met Ryan once prior. So this was my first time working with Ryan and I've worked with him, you know, I've worked with him since then, but he really did all the, everything. He did everything on that record. Okay. So for the people who are more into the urban scene or the hip hop and R&B scene, how did you just being in a pop 40, a top 40 <clears throat> album, is amazing, especially coming from the jazz world. Is there, you have any tips to even getting there for? Yeah, so you got to remember, I remember this double life I mentioned where I'm out doing orchestra concerts, but at home I'm here playing pop tunes. And and it was just, that world always existed, but I I was putting in... I was putting in work. I was bringing the harp down steps into random dude studios. You know where I got a studio. I got a studio in my mom's basement and bringing my harp down the stairs to just play on track. So I had been working, you know, and just doing a lot of stuff that, of course, probably just never saw the light of day. Um, but then my old boss, I had an internship at Sony, at BMG, um, when it was BMG. And my boss there, he's someone that I met and connected with him and ended up linking up with Omen. Omen's producer, he's working out of, he was working out of the studio uptown, Stadio Red, uh, what's it called? Stadium Red. But through him, I was able to get on that mixtape with Drake and Mickey Sachs and Travis McCoy. You know, so there was, I was always recording the overdose tracks. Song. Yes. Yeah. I used to make fun of that song. Because ah! <laughs> there's a whole part of the song where he's like, we good. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, long story short, the tracks have been happening already. You know, it's just sort of which one, which one makes it out of the, <laughs> which one makes it onto the record, you know. Okay. Did you get to meet any of those guys or was it also just I laid the track down and then a few months later, oh, they're on it. I think they were on it first and I laid the track down. So most of my work is with the, nine out of 10 times is with the producer. Okay. Not the artist. Because oh, it's usually cool. producer doing, it's usually producer doing all the work. That is true. <laughs> this is the pop transition I always find very interesting when there's somebody who does both of them. And yeah. Just so people know, she also played with John Legend. She also played with Beyonce. She also played with 
Uh, who else am I missing off the top of my head? So <laughs> I never met John Legend. Again, the sessions I did for his record were um, the producer, mm-hmm. um, Dave Tozer. I never, I never recorded with Beyonce. Beyonce used my my song in her documentary. Yes, we had a um, guest that was actually in the band for that documentary. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was a fun documentary, and that was a nice surprise because I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't know really ahead of time. Um, and uh, I mean, I had to work with Lauren Hill, which was an experience, you know, and um, lots of great folks. And I have to ask, did you meet Kanye? I didn't. Okay. Good album. I didn't. So it's like, okay, okay. So, <laughs> so, so he did, he, he sampled Dorothy Ashby on the uh, start the show on Finding Forever. And I knew it right away as soon as, you know, we're, we were in the studio. So this is like, oh, seven ish. This is oh, seven ish. We're doing the common record. And I'm listening to the track because they're like, we want an intro into this track. And I'm listening. I'm like, oh my God, this is Dorothy Ashby because of course I know that, right? Um, he wasn't there. Common was there. Derek Hodge contracted that session. He was there. And Raphael Sadiq was there. I remember that. Um, but Kanye was not there. And for the Donda record, I think probably a million producers worked on tracks for Donda and the tracks got picked. That's what I assume. Okay. I assume. No, it's cool. I have no idea. That's why I'm asking you on that one. No, I know. I mean, I think about that. Like, I, I would have loved to meet him. I have a Yeezy collection. So, of course, I would like to meet him, too. So, another one I have to ask you is, Mr. Glasper. You got on his album, Everything is Beautiful. Ah, oh, the remix, Everything is Beautiful. Yes. That was DJ Spinner, Chris Robb, Stevie Wonder. It was a bit of a... Yes. It's a bit of a, uh, that's kind of a big deal. Uh, a little too, yeah. <laughs> Stevie Wonder was like, I was like, um, I was like, the harmonica, the harmonica, hey, the harmonica, is that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How did that one happen? It was either Spinner or Chris Robb text me. Could you do this now? That's, I, re- I do remember that much. I remember the, now like just record it from your phone now yeah like from home i've i've always kind of recorded at home ish so they sent the track over and um i did my best okay and one that i really want to know the soul rebels Ah, you doing your homework because so many people like Brandy, Brandy, I'm playing Respect to Destroy. I'm playing Respect to Destroy. I never made the connection between like Terry Lynn's cover of it, mine, Mm -hmm. and then theirs. But what's the question? How did you get that gig? Okay. The trumpet player in the Soul Rebels, um, Julian. Well, okay, okay. One day, someone was like, hey, Soul Rebels are playing at Brooklyn Bowl. You want to come? They're playing your song. So I literally, that's how I, that's how I, I didn't know before then. I went to a gig. Um, Keanu Harrell was playing with them. And he's like, oh, yeah, I just learned your song. And I'm like, what song? You know, I had no idea. So I was like flattered. Like, how sweet. Um, 
So then after that, they were just like, we want to record it. Will you record it with us? I said, absolutely. I want harp on a brass band record. Of course I want harp on a brass band record. Okay. And there was another great guy on there that I love. He kicked my butt a few weeks ago. Bradford. We all want the butt kicking, especially because you ask all these questions and then you answer okay, and I'm expecting some kind of engagement follow-up. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't want to push the limit there because you told me before the show not to push the limit on you, and I was trying to be nice for once. I didn't say that I didn't want you to push the limit, but that if I have to deter something, I'm going to deter it, then don't fight me. Well, I get in trouble for doing that, so I'm trying to be nicer to my guest. Okay, I'm sorry. So You're a piece of work. I'm sorry, ma'am. Okay? I'm sorry, everybody listening. So back to you, ma'am. <laughs> okay, so a brass band willing to pick up a harp and record your song. So was it like in one setting? Was it in live? Was it like, how did you guys record that? They had done most of it and sent it to me, and I recorded it at home. Like, I recorded everything else. Okay. I know, very underwhelming. No, but uh, it's okay. And Mr. Marcellus just joined you by doing the same thing? He was virtually recording it also? I assume so, but I don't know because he was already on the record. Uh, No, 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 no. He wasn't on the record when I got it. It was blank. Okay. So I think I think I recorded first. I think. I could be lying. I think I recorded first and then they added... They added the the saxophone afterward. All right. And your impressions of that track, how it came out? Because I personally love it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry. I love it because that, especially the intro, the open line, it's just like a harp arpeggio. And Julian's like, you know what? I'm going to play this harp arpeggio on trumpet. How trumpetish of him. You know, like, like it's just a very ambitious thing to do. So I loved it. That's actually one of the reference recordings I use, you know, like if one of my ensembles in school are playing it, I use theirs as a reference. Okay. And how often does that happen, though? So the fairy god, Terry Lynn Carrington, has put it in her book of new standards. So now everyone in their mama's playing it. I'm like, oh my gosh, I keep hearing, you know, people tag me and I'm hearing all these different versions. I just did a thing at Oberlin on Monday and this guy was like, my senior recital is next week and we're playing your tune. And last week, the vocal ensemble played your tune. And I'm like, oh the my gosh, ensemble. I want Yeah, I'm like, I wonder what that, I wonder what that sounds like. So, nice, no. And it's cool because no one's playing harp. Everyone's playing it on their respective instruments. So it's it's cool for me. And, and you know, I wrote that. I put I made the title. I put my little brother's name into the Wu-Tang name generator. And it came <laughs> out. You will now be known as Respected Destroyer. So that's where I got the title from. So my brother feels like he, he has ownership over that song. And he gets excited at the different versions of it. He really does enjoy it. No, that's amazing. And... I must say something about Terry Lynn is she's a talent beyond. <laughs> and Yo. the fact that she has anyone that's in the educational world of music will understand what I mean. She has that going for her. When she gives a master class, it is eye-opening. The few people that I know that went to it agree with me. She's incredible. She's doing all the good work. All of it. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Can I ask one question since you said I'm allowed to? Sure. Miss Lauren Hill. Oh. Is that okay? So, yes. Yes, you can. <laughs> okay. You can look. I can. I can control my mouth now. Come on. So. I first worked with her. Actually, it was our dear Megan Stabile who who had me, um, you know, contract strings because she was doing the uh, What Happened, Miss Nina? Is that what it's called? Remember the Nina Simone documentary that came out some years back? Yes, ma'am. Was it called What Happened, Miss Nina? Something yes, What like Happened that. with Nina, yes. And um, it was at the... The, they did a premiere and concert at the Apollo. So that was my first time meeting and working with her. And there's even a clip. I actually just stumbled upon it because Megan took it from the side of the stage. There's a clip of me playing. But during rehearsal, she turned around and she looked at me and she goes, what's your name? And I was like, Brandy. And she goes, you look like Nina. I'm going to call you Nina. And, you know, she called me Nina from that point on. <laughs> And I mean, I'm like, cool. What Miss Lauren Hill has called me, like has named me Nina, so I'm gonna take it. Um, but so that was my first time working with her, and then um, we did some cool festivals together, and um, and a couple recordings actually. I like them. That's why I was asking. <laughs> I've seen her live several times, so I'm a fan. Me too. I'm okay. a fan. <laughs> uh some of your jazz people that you played with, Mr. Strickland. Which one? <laughs> Correct. <laughs> DJ. Yep. How did you get on to that album and everything? The industry? Which... Is that EJ or Marcus? Yeah, is it, that's EJ if I'm correct. Am I wrong? What? Industry is not EJ? But, I'm, but am I on that one? Yes. Um, oh, okay. Am I wrong again? Okay. No, I don't. I don't know. I don't look. You you digging back some years, so. Well, I like the song. But the reason why I'm saying that is because I I actually recorded with Marcus before I recorded with EJ. Um, okay. What song was it? Once you ah, uh, hold on. I'm like since you since you doing all the research. But you're the one who played on it, man. <laughs> yeah, you are. Yes, you were on that. I was right. No, I believe you. I believe you. <laughs> was it Robin Fly Away? Yes. What year was this out? What year was this? Uh, 2008. I just looked for you. <laughs> so that makes sense. I would have recorded on Marcus's prior, prior to, to okay. this. How did you meet um, Marcus and then go into EJ? And EJ... I met, oh God, to be honest, I can't remember who I met first. Well, I think maybe Marcus Strickland came up to Hartford possibly and played with maybe Steve Davis or or Jimmy Green at some point when I was in college or EJ. I, I don't, oof, I don't remember because we go way back, not like high school way back, but so far way back that I probably, I was closer with EJ for sure. So maybe I met EJ first. And I probably got closer with EJ working with Robbie Coltrane. Okay. And wow, you're just making me go back in my head in the years. And I'm like, dag, time. 
I Time said you're one blow. of my favorite in the modern scene. <laughs> you are, you are, I mean, dad, you're making me feel a little bit on the old side here. Because it's 2023, so I must have met EJ in like 06, 07. Marcus and EJ. Yeah. Okay. I wanted to know how you ended up on Robin Fly Away and that whole album. I Did he reach out pro- to you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. EJ asked me to do that. Any excitement from it? Was it like in one setting with the whole band or was it like overlapped? At this time, I don't think I was recording from home at 06. This had to have been in studio. 07. Yeah, this had to have happened in in the studio. Understood. (laughs) And what about his brother? Same. That definitely was in the studio. Okay. I don't remember. I don't remember which studio. I don't have this album in front of me, so I can't. Because I'm saying you you are nearly pushing my brain back 20 years. Okay. Uh, I've been in these streets. Yo. Can I ask you about Jeremy Pelt? Do you, you remember that recording? Yeah, but the thing is, there was one more recent, just like two years ago. Yes. So, yes. That's the one I was going to talk about, because, you know. <laughs> okay, yes. We did that at Van Gelder. I remember that. Okay. And... You became friends with him off the previous record and you just Oh no, I him? knew I knew Jeremy Pelt. So so let me tell you, after I finished, so I'm from New York. I should start there. I'm from New York. I went to college in Hartford. As soon as I done with school in Hartford, I came back to New York. I moved to the city. I'm from Long Island. But right after college, I moved to the city. So I've had this whole time to know everyone. And you know the jazz world is like like an inch an inch big, we all know each other, especially if our age is around the same. I agree with you on that. I've been I've been knowing Jeremy since way before we actually I recorded with him. Okay. And anything that stood out when you were recording with him? Because I really love his latest release. He just came on recently. So I was is there any stories from that? No, that. Hello. Hello. You're really gonna do this? Yeah. I, I, did you, did, I missed that. Did, did you lose me? Yes. So you got to repeat that, ma'am. Um, I was just saying that was a very respectable session. The one thing I do remember is that I was not isolated. And you know, as a harpist, I want to be isolated all the time. So you were in the main floor with the piano player and the horns. I was with. Yeah, I was like with everybody. Oh, so it was one the, big open room. Yeah, the drums okay. were isolated, for sure, I remember. But, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Next question I wish to ask, and then we're going through some other stuff. Do you have any stories for me about Mr. Glasper? Um, no, so I actually met Robert Glasper through Megan. Okay. Oh, Supreme Uniter. See her name, her name. Um... And no, I mean, what kind of stories you looking for? What no, you not to, drama. I just met recording with him. 
like the in the you, studios. The, way, I, the only I was gonna say the, the way you could be asking questions. I'm like, are you trying to dig into Wendy Williams? No, I'm not trying to story? dig. No, ma'am. Let me explain okay. what I mean. It's like every time you record an album, you know, stuff don't go right. Sometimes, sometimes you have to rearrange in the <clears> studio. Sometimes it's like you said, you have to harp in the main room. The drums isolated. The bass is acoustic, and it's not being picked up by the mic. You have to have a so they are isolated. Did anything like that happen? Okay, because the way you asked, and then how beforehand you were like, okay, is anything off limits? So I'm like, oh, you about to get down and dirty. So that's where my head was. Ah, uh, no, that, that's where my. I mean, that's literally where my head was. Okay, I'm gonna keep it, keep it classy, keep it classy. Um, no, so for that actual recording, I did that Miles Davis recording here. I did it remotely. Okay. That answers that. No problem. I'm not trying to get you in trouble or anything. <laughs> okay, but what is something that people misunderstand about the music world from your point of view? Because you be teaching still, you're performing a lot, you've been nominated for Grammys. What is something that people misunderstand? I think that one huge thing that people misunderstand is how musicians make a living. And, you know, people that aren't artists, they're the ones that don't get it because if they see that someone teaches, they'd be like, oh, well, you teach, so that must be your source of income. When in reality, no. I mean, at least for me in particular, I make more money playing than I do teaching. I actually teach because I love it. Um, so I do think that there is a kind of a huge misconception about how artists make a living to non-artists. Okay, that's fair. But, you know... You don't understand where people get that assumptions from because a lot of artists, it's like they go bury themselves in a university and then stop performing. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Okay. Well, you're one of the few people that is, I guess you're the premier harpist, at least when it comes to pop music nowadays. I mean, it would be possible to stop one and do one. You know what I mean? Like just teach or just play. It's definitely possible to do just one, but it's, it's kind of not in my personality to put all my eggs in one basket. Okay. That's recently, I mean, I understand that personally, so I can't even add on to that. Okay. <laughs> the music scene in general, though, how do you feel it's going? You being an artist and you rely more on streams now than album sales. Oh, I was going to say streams aren't paying my bills by any means. Um, I don't obsess over streams. Maybe like I should <laughs> as an artist who just put a record out. I mean, <laughs> but you have more streams than I want to say 95, if not higher percent of jazz artists. We so for this record, I asked like I used you can probably see I started posting more yes. on Instagram, like almost like almost like a job, you know. I actually put work into creating a little bit more of a backstory behind the record so that people can start to understand it more so than just listening from top to bottom. So that they have some background on it, you know. Uh if the only girl was the first one that you released, if I'm correct. You're you're a girl for one man. I'm sorry, you're a girl for one man. Sorry. Okay, but how was that building up the story for you? So when I say kind of giving background, I mean all along a little bit. So once we dropped that first record, the first record, the first single, track. Yes. <laughs> yeah, single. 
you know, and I maybe post a little bit of video. But I've been posting a couple times a week, just sort of talking a bit more and more and more about it, which is nothing innovative or nothing new. But I don't usually do that. I don't like videos. I don't like talking. I don't like hearing my voice. So it takes a little bit of my soul to talk, you know, to get on camera and to speak. So I've just been putting forth effort into making more of a social media presence to align with the record. And do you think that's very important nowadays? I think it's doing good for you, wonders for you, even though it makes you uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that you know, as much as we like to trash social media, you know, let let it be known that I got my first, you know, I got so much of my great early work from MySpace. How funny that sounds. So I can't, I can't knock social media. Like, I'm, I am a product of social media work. I'm glad that it wasn't around when I was in high school and stuff. But thank God. However, I was young enough that when it appeared to just latch on to it. So, you know, it's more organic for me. Like, I post stories while I'm waiting in line at the store, you know? It's not, I don't have to think, I try not to have to think ahead about it. I don't plan posts. I get you. Do you think some of the older artists need to start doing that? Because the younger ones do it all the time. I know. And there's such thing as too much. That's my other problem with it. So there's that part. Um, I think that if old folks, if older folks are okay and don't need it, then they don't need it. But if they need it, I think they should do it or have someone do it for them. Okay. So... What do you think of the current jazz scene right now? Do you think it's going to get bigger? Do you think it's going to get smaller? I think that the... I don't know if it's going to get bigger or smaller. I think that it, it will continue. And I think that there'll, there's an evolution that will always happen, you know? I think that the lines will be blurred stylistically, right? So, like, for example, my record, this record, like, Brand New Life is absolutely an R&B track. Yes. We sent it to all the R&B things and they just ignored it. Really? Yeah. Nobody played it? Not the R&B departments. Oh, okay. So I think it's, people just look at what a label is like slapped onto something and then just like classify it. But I'm a classically trained harpist with two classical degrees. Okay, so and. What? And I'm a, I'm a fence straddler in terms of style, so I don't even put a label on what I play because it is like a hybrid of different styles sort of smashed together. So, I mean, I guess I just... They're going to say what they're going to say and put things where they want to put them, but I try not to think very, very genre-specifically. Well, that's one thing I do like about your album is the fact that it is more of a modern pushing the boundaries of what is considered quote-unquote jazz like you said it's more r&b you have songs where people are singing you have a reggae song on that and nobody none of those stations wanted to play it um not that i yeah no oh okay that is it's getting very played strange. but it's getting played in the other department you know no no i understand that's what i'm like oh <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's it's like there is there was one genre on, I don't know if it was Apple or Spotify that is not R and B. It's like a word for like alternative R and B. I don't alternative remember what it is. R&B. It's not. It's not what it said. <laughs> it's basically. It's basically what it meant 
and it was on there. I was just like, that's funny. It's all good. I mean, it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, just keep pushing the boundaries on it. Because like I said, I think if it reaches more people, it will catch on more. And that's the other problem I have with streaming, but I kind of like it and hate it at the same time. Yeah. Well, I just learned that you press hearts on songs and then it starts to... <laughs> I'm so stupid. It starts to like... Like Apple now like makes me a a playlist that I'm like, oh my gosh, I love this song. How'd you know? You know, it, it, it really... When you do the hearts, it starts to really pick up your taste. And I know that that's not news, but it was news to me. No, that's cool. No, but do you actually enjoy that part? Like, do you think that's going to help your music or do you think that's going to harm your music? Because the person that is only liking, we'll say... Uh, Ice Spice. Yeah, Ice Spice. <laughs> they a Brandy Younger ain't, ain't going to float across their screen. So, I mean, I don't know. I'm just, I'm very new to the putting hearts on things. I mean, I was all, already before making playlists, but I always had to search for what I wanted to listen to as opposed to just discovering something by my taste. So, I mean, I'm new to it, so I don't, I don't know. Okay. That's just something I always think about because I know a lot of people who literally hop in their car and they just play X playlists. So yeah. whatever's on that playlist is what they're listening to. Yeah. So it's pretty much the same thing as listening to a radio station that these same people complained about. Right. Right. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you don't think it'll be bigger or smaller in 10 years, pretty much? Do you think it's just going to be floating in the same positions in? Um, no, I, I hope it'll be bigger, but I do think that the, the, the uh, classification lines will be blurred. So you don't like the term jazz or you're one of those? Are you one of those? No, there's nothing I, wrong with that. I, I mean, I went to a jazz festival, quote unquote, <laughs> last year, and I think jazz music was only like 5% of the thing. And I was just like, so why don't you just call it a music festival? Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> there, there, there are a lot of those floating around. Um, there are R&B festivals that are, that are labeled as jazz fest. And yes. then there are folks down south who their their view of jazz is like smooth jazz correct so it's like yeah. and i have no problem with smooth jazz i have some of them come on it's just that when you say certain things i'm expecting certain things yeah yeah right because if you're someone that listens to jazz then you're expecting certain things i mean it's tough because everyone has a different picture of, of of what it is. If it's instrumental and it has drums and bass, is it automatically jazz? You and, know? I agree. And I had a kid once tell me that Alicia Keys was jazz. And I... That, oh, like, she's playing a piano. Must be jazz. Correct. And I was just like, ah. And I like Alicia Keys, but no, that's not jazz. <laughs> right. So, I mean, the whole... Like, so, in general, the classification, period, is annoying. For me, I, you know, because it, like you just said, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't always work. I don't, I don't know what the answer is. Ask Casa. <laughs> Casa has a better, no, he has a much better. Casa came out. He's one of my first guests. I love the guy. I gotta say, Casa has a much better, he's much more articulate when it comes to talking about the fence straddling. Talk to Micaiah, talk to Casa, talk, you know. Mm -hmm. I did do a panel one year, and I'm glad Terry Lynn Carrington asked me to moderate it. And I'm so glad she did because it was right up my alley. It was all these artists that 
you know, they're classified under the umbrella of jazz, but what they do is like different. Yes. Was and it really was, he was, he was not. <laughs> oh, he was not. Okay. Um, no, I just, I know Casa, we go way back. So I just, I just love the way that Casa thinks about like, you know, I, I, he can articulate it in a way that I cannot. Understood. So, you're practically a jazz ambassador, okay? And the fact that people see you on the stage with certain big artists, and then you're coming out and doing albums like this, doing panels with Terry Lynn, how has that affected your life? Oh, wow, that's a, affected my life. <clears throat> I don't understand the question. Can you be more specific? <laughs> okay. Be more specific. Uh, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Specific. So, let's just say you going from the classical world to mm -hmm. the jazz world. That is a weird limbo. Mm. And then you going from the pop world to the jazz world. That's even a bigger difference in limbo. So let me tell you, it's not, for me, this is like, if you go to my little playlist that I was just talking about, my hearts, and you listen to what Apple has made for me, you will hear... John Coltrane. You're going to hear Kanye. You're going to hear Tony, Tony, Tony. You're going to hear Marsha Ambrosius. You're going to hear traditional, classical harp rep, Judy Loman. You're going to hear Cla Ravel. You're going to hear Debussy. You're going to hear all these things. You're going to hear um, everything. So what I'm listening to and sort of what I grew up listening to, which was more hip hop and R&B, that's, that's just unique to me. So I don't think of them as separate things. I just, this is the music that speaks to me. And then in turn, I can turn around and regurgitate certain styles from playing with the same people for a long time, like doing this record, just sort of sitting down with Micaiah in the living room, playing through these tunes, having Rashawn come in and put bass lines down and, and us just working through them, but knowing each other so well that we don't have to really like, you know, you don't have to like create a vibe, you know, the vibe is there. So it, for me, it's just natural. Okay. I don't feel like I'm jumping because I understand what you're saying and how it looks on the outside. But for me, it doesn't feel like I'm jumping, 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 especially since Remember how I told you earlier how I felt like I was living this double life because at home I was doing one thing and doing all these uh, studio sessions at night. And then during the day I was doing these orchestra concerts. It's once I stopped hiding my two lives from each other <laughs> and started to just like come out with them both and sort of do things out loud. That's when things started to come together for me. Wish I had done it sooner. Okay. I think that's a good answer for it <laughs> thanks i tried my best just for you <laughs> thank you ma'am <laughs> so you've done all these type of pop albums and everything is there any albums you like turned down that you're willing to tell us not that i'm willing to tell you okay you can tell me after the show no that's cool i but i try to do everything you know why because it's like i want harp to be everywhere look i'm like Harp belongs everywhere. Selfishharp.com. That should be me. Because I just, 
I don't like that people, some people feel like it really has its place and it just doesn't belong in certain settings. I don't believe that. And I never believe that. It may not sound good on certain things, but you can make it work. Look, you, you, you can make it work. Yeah. And I think you're doing a great job of making that work. I mean, all the different artists you played with. And I mean, I don't want to just sit here and name every single person you've done. <laughs> So. I know. And it's 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 been a long time. And, and when I'm working, 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 I don't really have a chance to kind of like sit and be like, oh, I did all that, you know. Mm-hmm. So was there any performances that stand out the most to you? You know what was the bomb? And I said the bomb like it's 2001. <laughs> um, that that soundtrack of America. Do you live in New York? Yes, ma'am. Okay, so when the shed opened, like, this was like, right, literally, right before, the spring before the pandemic. When the shed opened down in Hudson Yards, they did the grand opening rollout with something called the Soundtrack of America that Steve McQueen and Quincy Jones curated. And in doing this, Quincy Jones made it a point to make sure that he was accessible to everyone that was on that thing. And we got to talk to Quincy Jones every night. How was that? What? What? Yeah, that's what what you need to explain to me because, yeah, that's a dream come true. Tell me, and I don't get excited about, you know, I don't get excited about too much. I mean, I I do, but not really. I'm like too cool for school. You know, I'm like as cool as the other side of the pillow until that week. Um, It was like, and I'm not the type of person that will walk up to someone and like, hi, may I have a photo? I'm I'm awkward and I run in the corner. I'm that person. I'm not getting that from you today, but okay. Oh, I am. I mean, I'm not like, I'm not shy if you want to talk. But I won't walk up to you and ask you for a photo. I just don't feel comfortable doing that. Um, But it became clear that he was there for us. And I got to sit and talk with him three times in the month. I even brought my sister the last time and she got to talk with him. You know, like I brought my sister along. Um, And in our brief talking, you know, he talked about studying with Nadia Boulanger and and some tips that she gave him for composition. And he talked about this particular harp piece by Ravel called Introduction and Allegro, which is a harp staple in our repertoire. And he referred to that as the Bible. You know, I, I'll never forget that. It was just really, that was probably one of, one of my top five work things ever in life. Okay. I'm very jealous of you. Like, on I'm going to remember that. I'm going to remember <laughs> that on my deathbed. No, I, just trust me, if I got to meet Quincy Jones, I'd be ecstatic. Because yeah. there's a whole bunch of questions I would like to ask him. And I had some guests that got to work with him or, or worked with him a lot. Mm-hmm. And they gave me a little bit, but they wouldn't give me the details I was curious about. So, yes. Ah, uh, that's funny. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm just curious, what is your dream project, Miss? Because you've done I know. a lot of I different know. stuff. I low-key achieve so many dreams. I got to create some more dreams. I need to take a vacation so I could just chill and reassess my whole brand new life. So 
someone that I've always admired and never got to work with that I always say whenever people are like, who are you going to work with? Marsha Ambrosius. I just really respect her and I would love to work with her. I'm still over the moon about D'Angelo and I would love to work with D'Angelo. Um, Raphael Sadiq. You see a theme here? Yes. I, I, I'm not knocking it. I would like to listen to it. I'm a big fan of that era of R&B music. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, so them and um, yeah. I mean, time to start. Would you want to do another album with Mr. McBride? Is there anything like that, or is it just like more of an R&B feel? Well, when when you say like, who do you want to work with that I haven't been able to even touch? That's you know, so those what who I just mentioned is who comes to mind. But in terms of like, what's very, what's like, what are you asking? What I want to do next is that is that the question? No, it's more like your dream project. Sony comes up to you, knocks on your door, and says, "Here is ten million dollars. Make it work." I don't need Sony to come up to me because I have Universal. Right now. <laughs> I'm sorry. Universal. <laughs> who did you call for this interview? <laughs> I am sorry. If Universal came up to you, knocked on your door, and gave you ten million dollars, what? Am, oh, with ten million? Yes, ten oh. million. That's why I named a big label. Oh. But Universal is a huge label, also. You gotta be thinking big. Thinking big. And they Jeez. said you could record it in Capitol's private studio. Uh, okay, you don't like that one. Okay. No, no. We so <laughs> 2008 is when I the first time I got to record with Robbie Coltrane and um, Charlie Hayden and the three of us recorded at Capitol Studio. Okay, so you've done that already. Okay. That no, that was, <laughs> but that that was the only time I recorded, and to be able to do, like, I mean, it was it was. Special. There's even a little clip of it in the Charlie Hayden documentary. That was super, super special. Um, so, so no, let's keep that studio. Let's keep that studio. Um, man, I don't, I don't, I don't know. You mean ten million to do something with? Because ten million is not enough for some people. You know what I'm saying? So I gotta uh, yeah, still, but for people, I gotta who... still, I, I gotta still, you know, put some parameters. Okay, the average. Jazz artists. We're just saying jazz right now. If I gave them a hundred grand, they're doing backflips. That's funny. So if I gave you ten million dollars, I thought that you could have your all-star band of your choice. Okay. Oh boy. I no, I'm not I'm not naming my all-star band because I name my all-star band and then someone hears it and then they're like, oh, so that's who you want to play with? I'm not getting myself in trouble. I understand. That was a whole part of my show at one point that I stopped doing because of that. Trying to get people in trouble. No, no I wasn't. I was just more I'm like not. naming people. Who would you rather have on sax? And I give them two. See, you don't <laughs> dare say who would you rather have on sax. No, I'm not answering that question. No, I'm not getting caught up. I'm not getting caught up in your web. I wasn't, but I was naming people that passed away already. So it wasn't something I thought could come back to me until somebody, you know, got really offended by it. Yeah, people can be sensitive. Musicians can be really sensitive, too. Yes. And it wasn't even like he knew the person. It was more like, but I listen to that song every day. I know. But I, I perform know. this song from this artist 
every other week. So I was that's just like, hilarious. Yeah, that's, that's why that part went out of the show. <laughs> that is really funny. And I could hear that, by the way, by a couple of people. That is so funny. I'm pretty sure you know one of them. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure I know one of them. Mad sensitive. It's just like, you know, loosen up. Okay, fine then. I'll ask you who is an artist that you actually like listening to right now? Oh, oh, who's on my Apple playlist right now? I my favorite band right now is Tank and the Bangers. Who? Tank and the Bangers. Oh, Tank. The RP singer. Oh, and the Bangles. The Bangles? Tank and the Bangers. Oh, bangers. I thought you said bangles. Bangers, B-A-N-G-A-S. My mistake, yes. So not bangers and, you know, bangers. Tank and the bangers. That's my favorite band at the moment. Okay, I was thinking Manic Monday when you said that for some reason. Oh, and I was oh, just like, oh. really? Oh, really? We just took a left turn there? <laughs> yeah. No, no. I just, their live show is like infectious. They they really um, are just some incredible, incredible artists. I'm enthusiastic, like, because, you know, I don't get enthusiastic about what. I'm so enthusiastic about them. Love them. <laughs> okay. Why man. are you laughing at me? No, nothing. I I met Tank once. Of course, he don't remember this because it was at the 4040. He was No, in... you're talking about Tank the R&B singer. Well, I was about I'm to talking... explain the story oh. on it. <laughs> Never mind. I know Tank the R&B singer and Tank the Bang are a little two different artists. I was about to say the mix-up that I had. Oh well, I'm sure that that's happening a lot because Tank Tank the R&B artist he he what he doing lately? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm just saying I don't think he's really like putting music out like that, right? <laughs> and that's pretty much what I was gonna say that got me in trouble, but we're not going there. That's funny. <laughs> you already stopped that, okay? <laughs> so, ma'am, can you tell the people your social media, your website, where to find you? Yeah, so on everything, although, so my Twitter deleted itself. It got deleted. It says my account does not exist. I don't know what happened, but it's gone. As of less than a week ago, it just disappeared like a thief in the night. But I'm Harpista on everything. H-A-R-P-I-S-T-A on Instagram, Facebook, R-I-P to my Twitter unless it pops back up. Um, and then my website is just my name, brandyyounger.com. And that's brandy with two E's, B-R-A-N-D-E-E, younger.com. Well, ma'am, thank you for coming on. I must say, you have personality. I love it. I personally do. <sighs> <laughs> and everyone, Why, thank you. This is Leanna from Improv Exchange. Thank you. Have a good one. That's that on jazz. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Improv Exchange. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Improv Exchange. <laughs>